Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Gold Star announces the New York-based company XIV has won the Gold Star National Nutcracker Award, the Nutty, for 2021 for their production of Nutcracker Rouge, which runs now through January 30th in New York City. This year, there were over 60 companies competing for the only award honoring live performances of the Nutcracker nationwide. Company XIV previously won this honor in 2017. Company XIV's signature mix of circus, opera, burlesque, high fashion, and lavish design has been wowing New York City audiences for over 14 years. A fusion of high and lowbrow entertainment woven together in unforgettable spectacles. The New York Times says that Company XIV Nutcracker's Rouge is exhilarating. The Huffington Post said Nutcracker Rouge is the holiday performance extravaganza you've been waiting for. It's a -a one-of-a-kind theatrical event. Don't miss this reimagining of a familiar tale told with sensual and opulent flair. Tickets are available at goldstar.com or click the link in the description of this episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by educator, repetitor, and former principal dancer with American Ballet Theater and New York City Ballet, Robert LaFosse. Robert was born in Beaumont, Texas. He moved to New York City to further his dance education with David Howard at Harkness House and Stanley Williams at the School of American Ballet. He joined American Ballet Theater in 1977, where he danced as a principal dancer for nine years. Then, in 1986, he was invited by Jerome Robbins to join the New York City Ballet as a principal dancer. Throughout his career, he has danced leading roles in a broad repertoire, including originating roles in Jerome Robbins' works. In addition to his work in classical ballet, Mr. LaFosse has also starred in numerous Broadway productions. Robert works now as an educator and repetitor. He currently teaches at American Ballet Theater's Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School. He has worked with American Dance Machine for the 21st century since 2013, staging the dances from Jerome Robbins' musicals. Learn more about American Dance Machine for the 21st Century at admi21.org or click the link in the description of this episode. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, so I'm so grateful um, that we were able to coordinate and uh, make this happen. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm, I'm coming to you from Provincetown. Love it. You're our first interview of 2022, and we can't think of a better person to be chatting with. You have such an awesome career to discuss, and we're so excited to dive in with you. Well, thank you. I'm I feel very um, blessed and grateful that I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's most of us right now. That's a yeah. 2022 sentiment. 2022 that's for sure. <laughs> um, let's just get started where we do with all of our guests. Tell us how you first got interested in dance and theater. Well, I was one of those kids that, you know, before I knew there was a thing called theater, I, you know, my coffee table became this stage where I entertained my family. Um, I was sort of one of five uh, in a small town in Texas, Beaumont, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I was the the clown of the group, you know. Um, But I also have a brother, Edmund, who was studying dance. And that's sort of my way in was that um, I... uh, he, he originally started out as a roller skater and um, he wanted to improve his, I don't know, I guess his. Uh, Gracefulness. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, and we have this teacher named Marsha Woody who um, was recruiting guys like all dance teachers do. They, mm-hmm. they don't have guys. So you immediately got a scholarship. He got a scholarship. I saw him do that. I was, um, also very involved in musical theater as a child. So um, I was doing both that. And then I started, I started doing, I think I started with acrobatics. And then, you know, it was one of those schools where you took jazz, tap, acrobatics, and ballet. And ballet was sort of the last thing that I, that I did. But I also, I think I started at five. It's so foggy, um, the older you get. And and then I, believe I waited until I was like six or seven before I I started ballet and um so anyway I was um I was very uh how do you say it they called me like I was the ham basically I was very much you know uh interested in um you know uh playing like the mice in the nutcracker was my my big breakout performance was the mice and people I, I was having, I had people on the floor with my, you know, my little mice uh, character that I could do. And um, so I also performed at the local uh, community theater and musicals like roar, the grease paint, smell of the crowd. I, I think I was eight when I did that gypsy, which is interesting because gypsy um, it was my first connection to Jerome Robbins um Ooh. and I didn't you know I didn't know who didn't know. Was I didn't right. even care um I was just, <laughs> and they and uh, I remember the um about because the kids were uh, really only in the first act mm-hmm. and then they got we had to leave and we weren't allowed actually to stay and watch the strippers but I stayed and watched you gotta have a gimmick and I the you know within like a week I could I could basically perform the whole number um, amazing and um and then the other connection was I did Peter Pan as well and um so there was another Jerome Robbins connection which I wouldn't lay you know 
really understand until later. Um, mm-hmm. So I was already connected to him in some way. But anyway, I was, you know, studying, studying and, you know, and watching my brother uh, exceed. And then I, I got scholarships and my scholarships were uh David Howard was a big uh, teacher of mine. He, uh, my teacher brought him down for a week to, to teach at our school. And then I went to Hartner's house several summers in a row. And then the last summer when I was 17, um, I went to the School of American Ballet. And um, I, the, the, the strange things is that I didn't know where I really wanted to be. I mean, in my head, I didn't know if, if I was a, ba- a, you know, a good enough ballet dancer and I knew I loved musical theater and I, I always thought, well, I could do that as well. Um, but I think I was really kind of aiming towards one of the main ballet companies. Um, so one day at the end of that summer, I was walking down the street and we, I was still taking class at Harkness back and forth. And so we, you know, you saw the people in class like Gelsie Kirkland and, so Rebecca Wright, if, if you know who she was, um, she was a soloist, uh, a principal with Joffrey. And at the time she was with American Ballet Theater and she saw me on the street and she said, you know, they, one of the guys in the quarter ballet just left the company, come tomorrow and take company class. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scott Douglas, when I took class, Lucia Chase was there. Scott Douglas said, come back tomorrow. So I came back the next day and they offered me an apprentice uh, contract. So you, you, had, you didn't even have to move to the city to go train further. You just like you were there for the summer and it just kind of fell into place. Yeah. And I was special. fortunate because my brother was dancing at the time. He was dancing with uh, Elliot Feld. He was one of Elliot's um, main dancers. He, he, uh, he had gone to the Washington, uh, National Valley of Washington and danced for Ben Stevenson for a while. And then there was a whole, once that folded, there was a whole movement of Kevin McKenzie, Kirk Peterson. They all sort of moved to New York mm-hmm. and got jobs in different companies. And he got a job. Uh, he almost got a job at ABT, but um, he, uh, I think he auditioned, but he ended up with Elliot Feld. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really fortunate to have him there. And I came, uh, each time I came, I stayed with him in his apartment. So that made that easier because my, you know, my family, very middle-class and we didn't have money. So I had to work as a teenager, as a bus boy to, to, in order to afford my own, um, airfare to New York. So, um, I really was self-sufficient at a very early age. I wonder, we're hearing kind of of your musical theater and ballet parallel um, journeys. And I wonder if there was a point where you had to be like, okay, I'm going to focus on ballet. Was it really like when you were offered an apprenticeship or was it before then? Or were you really able to kind of keep focusing on both of them at the same time through your training? I I was not. I mean, I was 16 and 15, 16 and 17 and ballet was my focus, Mm -hmm. but um like I said, I was always doing musicals. I did Oliver in Oliver. I, um, I, I, I continued, you know, as a, as a, as a teenager in my hometown. Um, I, I didn't really pursue, I had an okay voice. I didn't really continue to pursue vocal lessons until mm-hmm. a little bit later. Um, 
I and I, I didn't really take any acting classes. Um, and that came later, actually. Um, but yeah, the focus was sort of ballet. I mean, I think I I think I thought I was good, but I didn't know how good. You know, it was like <laughs> you're not sure. You know. Yeah. But when then, kid, um, yeah. <laughs> then I then uh, I was actually asked back at SAB for the for the winter, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, I later found out that I think Jean Pierre um, Bonfou was going to choreograph. Well, he wanted to choreograph something for the workshop or something for me. Um, so it just, you know, I got a job, you know, I needed, you needed money. Right. So I, right. and I loved ballet theater. I mean, I, I didn't really, at first I didn't really understand Balanchine and the, the open arabesque and the flappy arms and the, you know, um, inching, we called it. I think there were all sorts of words that we called it. I didn't really, hadn't seen much. I, I think I saw Eddie Villa in Prodigal Son and I thought, oh, that's cool. Um, but I, I wasn't impressed, you know, right. the way I was with Cynthia Gregory and, you know. Right. So it wasn't a huge loss to you then. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was just, it was storytelling too. You know, I, I was really into storytelling. Um, so, in fact, the f- first people that I saw live, because we didn't have a we didn't have so much VHS and and th- we didn't have access. To, so right. uh, my first performances were Elliot Feld, and I saw Mar- Margot Fontaine do um, Cinderella with the National Ballet of Washington, mm-hmm. and then I saw Gelsey and Misha do Coppelia in Houston. So my first performances were were like that, and then I saw Rudolf Nureyev in New York, and um, so that was where my where my um, references were. Right. I later saw. Um, New York City Ballet performed, right. and I slowly got sucked into the the genius of of, of Balanchine. I always, you know, I mean, my connection to Robbins was, you know, very early on at at ABT. Mm-hmm. So, so what were some of your first the early years at ABT? What was that adjustment like? Um, becoming a company member for the first time, and um, presumably, you know, being on stage so consistently. Well, I was immediately put into this, I don't want to call it a trap because I hate that word. I, I was, the roles of, uh, I forget his name now, but anyway, I, I, I was put into the Nutcracker, Misha's Nutcracker, and we filmed it right away. It was, mm-hmm. I filmed it before I performed it on stage, which, oh, will, wow. it, which will become a theme because it ha- that happened to me with Push Comes to Shove. Uh-huh. I filmed Push Comes to Shove before I actually did it on stage. Uh, because I was learning it. I also put, was got put, thrown into theme and variations, which was filmed with, you know, I was in the core of that. So it was like, and then mm. that was 77. So by 79, Misha left to go to ballet, uh, to city ballet. And Glenn Tetley was choreographing. So I got, I, I was I put into those ballets mm-hmm. very quickly, actually looking back. I, I mean, I just showed up and, was sort of in shock that I, you know, that this was all happening. I was pretty weak. My upper body was pretty weak. So I had to really work on lifting um, people over my head. I remember once I put a Lankuda over my head. It was supposed to be a pressage lift and running off stage. And I got her all the way up. And then I, she landed on my head. And I just, you know, ran off the stage with her her, her back on my, on my head. And uh, <laughs> so... 
you know, I, I had, I had, a, you know, a, a ways to go. Um, I was a good partner. I just wasn't strong. So that, that developed. And then Misha came back and that's when my, my life sort of changed because um, Misha saw something in me um, that, uh, that he liked, you know, and he made really drastic changes quickly. I mean, he basically said, I like your dancing. You're going to be dancing more. I don't like your dancing. You're probably not going to be dancing as much as you, you're used to. So he was very direct. He wasn't right. this little like, you know, not talking to people and just, you know, talking through casting. He basically right. said, and so people was very clear. And some people left and went to other companies and they got, you know, which they were grateful for because it, it meant, mm -hmm. you know, okay, I know where I stand and I'll go somewhere else and I'll, and they, and they did, and they had big careers. So, um, you know, the first big role for me was, um, was, was, um, fancy free. And, um, it was, it was one of those things that just, it, it was like a glove that fit perfectly, you know, mm -hmm. I, and, and at those, at those, in those times we, um, we were watching, you know, it was a ballet that I had seen many times and, and I, you know, I knew, I almost knew the ballet in my head. So, you know, showing up to rehearsal and then the big moment came for, for me really, I think was that um, I was to be like the third understudy for, for prodigal son. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this will, this will be a reoccurring theme. Um, Misha, we were going to Washington to, to, um, to do uh, the season and Misha um, and it was, Danilo Radojevac, myself, and Misha were the three people, I think. I think there might have been one other person. Maybe uh, Johan Renval was also learning it. So um, he he injured himself opening night, and I got thrown on. And um, I was taught, taught the role by uh, John Terrace. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Misha had already done it with uh, Balanchine. And um, I got thrown on. I was freaked out and scared. I had one of those moments, really the only time in my whole career where I had a, one of those blackout moments. Where yes. yeah, scary. <laughs> and I just started doing coupe jetes across the stage until, until I got it back together again. Because uh -huh. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at improvis improvisation. Like if, if there's a moment like that, I just, I, that the show must go on. There, there's a very famous story about your improvisation that I absolutely need to circle back to later. Yes. But we'll, we'll get back to it. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else wrote it in their book this year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, so, um, but that's, you know, just, it was just an instinct that I had. And um, then, so that was a big moment for me. I got to dance with uh, Cynthia Gregory in that, which was unbelievable. And uh, so that became sort of one of the, the roles that I cherished the most. And the thing about that role is that um, I had to, I, I really, it's like, it's an acting role, really. It's, it's really a, 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 a dramatic role. And, um, and it's where I learned to do my research and to make something my own. I, I had seen Edward Villela, but I didn't, I couldn't recall details. Mm -hmm. John Terrace gave me the, the basis. I think Richard Tanner was in the room with his information. So there's all this information that you have 
And I really, over the over a period of time, I really had to make that, it's like a play. You have the script and you really have to make it your own. And that was, that was my, um, one of the biggest learning lessons that I've learned about how to develop a role and make it yourself. What I find with dance is that there's so much documentation now that we get so influenced by other interpretations. And we've even gotten to the point where we bring in the original person to teach us what they know, which I think is helpful, but can also be destructive because one of the, one of the things where I, and I'll give you an example. Um, I did melancholic once and I, and I'm a, big huge fan of Bart Cook and mm-hmm. I had seen him do that role a million times and in my head that was the ultimate right interpretation it's like seeing Meryl Streep you know and <laughs> you're, you're supposed to tackle that right so I couldn't right. get past how do I how do I put this in my body and and it become Robert LaFosse's role right, right? Yeah. so yeah um, and I I mean I did I did a perfectly fine melancholic in performance but um i never was able to break through that but with with something like fancy free and and prodigal son i really did w- what we say i i really did uh, i was in the moment i owned that role i was i was that character and, mm-hmm. and it was a lesson that i really learned mm-hmm. early on not to be influenced by the past interpreters of the role right. that's it's, I it's, think- a, it's a prat it's a, it's a, it's what is it? Not a pratfall. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's, uh, what is the word I'm looking pitfall. for? It's a pitfall. pitfall of the, yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really interesting. And I, I mean, I guess I'm going to jump ahead now to work you do as a, as an educator or a coach, because um, I, I, I mean, I'm in, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I, I'm a big bun head, Bart Cook and Melancholic was the reason I told, I fell in love with Balanchine because I watched those videos and I was just like, oh, I, I want to do this. But um, as a coach, then how do you how do you help someone find their own way through it? I mean, sometimes it's like that dancer's essence, if it was made on them, is like completely etched into the choreography. Um, but obviously, you know, in the specific case of Balanchine, like he he encouraged individualism, like you know, diamonds, like the first person to do it after Suzanne was Kay, who doesn't look like Suzanne at all. So you know, it's not a bad thing at all to be yourself. So how, how do you as a, a coach help someone find themselves in a role where they're quite different um, from the originator? Well, you, you say, I say just what you just said. I say, let's look at the blueprint. Let's look at the, let's like, look what happened. Let's look at the interpreters uh, it, that were in the room where it happened. So w- when you are uh, surrounded by the original cast and then there's a second cast and the choreographer is still alive, that's information, right? That's fine. But what I find really important is um, that you can tell when someone has watched a videotape of somebody. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's, very, it's very simple. I mean, there's even a, a flip in a head, you know, whack back that you say oh that's you're doing Suzanne yeah that's not really you <laughs> so true. Right. yeah um and and Suzanne was you know at one point everyone was trying to el- eliminate uh, 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 you know emulate her, her yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. down to, you know, Botox in their lips. <laughs> had that pout. And, <laughs> so there was isms, you know, feral isms that people right. were, were trying to emulate, which I find untruthful. What's truthful <laughs> is you doing the role there. So right. as a, like an actor, you have the steps. There's the steps that you have. The, um, there's the music. I mean, with, with Balanchine, I think it's all about musical interpretation. It's about how, you know, um, and that's what, what I think, you know, Suzanne was a genius at was that right. she was probably the most musical dancer I've ever danced with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned that. Well, with roles like Robbins, I think what's important is really, um, it's very much like an actor. You have, you have, you have to do a lot of work yourself. You have to understand who you are, where you come from, are, who are your parents, where are you coming from, what do you want, um, what do you need, um, what time of day is it? There's all these questions you have to ask yourself because mm-hmm. we, we, there's, a, you know, even the sunlight affects, you know, a, what, what, how you feel. Um, right. Is it, is it daytime? Is it like, you know, all that stuff really affects you. Um, what do you feel about the person standing uh, opposite you? Um, most of his ballets have that. Um, I've staged, let's see, uh, a concert, fanfare, fancy free, afternoon of fawn. A lot of those have, they're not abstract, you know, they're not mm-hmm. just right. dance yeah. to music. And I, even, even at a dances at a gathering, it, to me is not, you know, there's this story in that. Right. <laughs> Definitely, you know, what does this space mean? Um, so I try to try to leave them there. And then I try to allow them a freedom of, um, you know, a lot, a lot of times I say, do whatever you want, just do whatever you want, because that, that's, that free, that frees them from a videotape that frees them for, or, or let's, let's think about what the choreographer wanted here. Mm-hmm. What do they want? What are they, it's like when you read a script, you're, you're asking yourself, why did this script writer write that line for you mm-hmm. and that reaction? Why? So you're always asking the why. Um, and I, I, I help them find that, that I try not to stand up and demonstrate as mm-hmm. much as possible because that's also uh, a trap because um, mm-hmm. there's a famous story <laughs> where John Terrace um, was teaching Rudolf Nureyev, Prodigal Son. And there's the very beginning when you, you bang your hands on your knees. Right. And John Terrace was knock kneed. So his knees were together, sort of knocked together. And, and he was banging on his knees. And Nureyev went out on the stage and did that. And it was... <laughs> Your legs are separated. So, like, there's a trap. That's so funny. That, you know? Yeah. And it it looked funny, and it had, you know, things have to be adjusted. So I I try as much not to, although that is a big part of pedagogy is is to demonstrate. Um, But... I wonder if in general, you think that um, coaches and artistic directors maybe fall into a trap of casting people like you're a Suzanne type. And so we cast you in these sorts of things. Do you feel like that maybe also sort of contributes to this continuation of Mimicking. putting dancers in boxes and kind of right. like perpetuating that? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I would have to do my, 
I'd have to look and see what's what's going on there. Sure. I don't think so. I, I don't think it's possible uh, because I think we know that there's different types. I mean, I don't think you would put a, a six foot four girl in the lead of rubies. I think sure. there's a definite, you know, height thing that's right. going on. Um, I think there's a character thing. Um, I think we still do have soubrette roles. I think we still do have, you know, um, uh, yeah, I think we do it because it's sort of, you know, it helps. But the problem, the problem these days is that we have so little time to put things on the stage. Right. And um, I know Balanchine made ballets in two days and um it got thrown on the stage and he realized that over time those, those ballets could be morphed because it's not like in Broadway where you have to, it's frozen right. opening night. It, it evolved. Right. And, you know, even his ballet, I mean, look at, look at look, all of his ballets evolved right. over time. Mm -hmm. And it was, a, right. it was a living organisms. And mm -hmm. I think Jerry, Jerry got to that place where he realized that these are living organisms and that, and that becomes the fight with, with repertoire, uh, you know, with us who restage sure. the ballads. It's like, right. you have so many videotapes, you know, mm -hmm. where, um, and it's this idea of right and wrong. And right. to me, there's no right or wrong. There's really just, you know, it's just good or bad, you know, right. or, you know, it's not good enough. Um, right. and, and, um, I, I have, you know, I have only so much information that I can, I can give another person has, other kinds of information that they can give, you know, um, and I don't, I don't know what Jerry would want today. I have no idea what he would say. All I know is what I, I learned from him and what I did. Mm -hmm. And that's all I can get. But it's really up to the dancer to investigate and to move it forward somehow mm -hmm. and, and to make us see something new in the, in the role. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, Patricia McBride in rubies and Heather Watts in rubies are two completely different ideas. And I think Balanchine was fascinated by that. He was like, oh, I have this really interesting woman in Heather Watts. And what could she do with this? You know, mm -hmm. and I think he was interested in looking at his ballets change. You know, look at look at Apollo, look at how drastically different the original costumes and this and the idea of that into this like distilled, he even distilled it more as it went on. Yeah. He took right. away, he took away and made mm -hmm. it simpler. And uh, yeah. Serenade's uh, a funny one of those two that has changed that changed so much. Serenade. Yeah. With like costumes and things like that. Because it's one of the longest running ones, right? And all the changes that it went right. through as well. Yeah. I, I was we're allowed. Thinking. We're we're still allowed. There's there's productions where before they have to be down, they're allowed yeah. to do, you know, right. little details like that. Um, and, and, and th there's where the argument becomes, you know, mm -hmm. well, this is the way I did it. This is the way, I, but, yeah. you know, I would say, well, how are you going to do it? You know, uh, I, I do, I do a Balanchine. I do the Nutcracker every year. And, you know, I had Sean O'Brien who worked with Balanchine as my prototype, but I thought, you know, I know Balanchine because I can see he would want me to do whatever the hell I wanted to do. With <laughs> and then because you know what, I'm good at that. I'm good at that stuff. Um, I, 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 I did my research. I found out that Drosselmeyer had in the text, it says something about his hair being like spun glass. Mm -hmm. So a white wig, you know, and it was long. So I, I, I went back to that and, and I, I, um, 
I wanted to homage Balanchine and I had the, a dancer who was able to make prosthetic noses. And so I looked at Balanchine's nose and I had him make me a nose that looked like the crook of his nose. Cause it had this funny, like yeah. uh, funny yeah. nose. So I made a nose uh, and uh, I originally sort of wanted, cause everyone that, when I came into city ballet, everyone mimicked Balanchine. Everyone did a, you know, you know, dear. And they would point to no dear, come over here, let's do this. And they would always crouch over. Um, so I tried to, in the beginning, I, I, I mimicked, um, uh, the mimic of Balanchine. So I was putting Balanchine, trying to put Balanchine on the stage. That's morphed over time. I mean, I, I, every year it's a, one year I, I pretended to be my, the, my, my dog is Adora, who's no longer with us, but <laughs> I took characteristics from my dog and put it into this character. So, cause you need, you know, after, after 25 years, you, fresh. you, you gotta, you gotta make it interesting for yourself. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I I I I go over the top. Sometimes he's a little bit too gay. <laughs> Wait, so how long have you been doing Drossmeyer for? Um, that's a good question. I know that it was. Bef- I know that it's been, um, maybe nineteen. I was. I did it when I was still doing Cavalier, because I wanted to see if I could do Drossmeyer and the Cavalier in one performance. That was the goal. <laughs> did you do that? Did you do that? No, but Peter wouldn't let me. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was, it was an idea. Um, <laughs> so I think it's been more than twenty years. It's. It's been a. Wow. Yeah, it's been twenty, maybe wow. twenty-five. Well, okay. I guess this might be the moment that we can bring this up. And I, I this is the thing. Is so John Clifford mentions this story in his book, but. I remember I was at the school when this happened and I remember, I can't remember which boy it was, but someone who was an apprentice and still living in the dorms came running into the room and was like, you guys are never going to believe what just happened in the show. So we, the, 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 so you, I'll, I'll let you tell it from, from the top. You're, you know, you're doing Drossmeyer per usual and right. what, what happens mid, mid well, party scene. Well, I'll tell it from my perspective because I didn't know how we got to this moment. We're in the party scene. We bring on the toy, the boxes, which has the dolls in them, which they're not in because they're empty. You have to, you have to carry them. And then they get put in their place. And then the time comes for me to open the the dolls. And there's the, the first two dolls come out and we do the dance and that's fine. And then I put them back in the doll. And then the soldier doll, I, I, I cover it up and they're all, there's all this, where is he? Where is he? And I open the door and there's no one there. There's no doll. <laughs> so I turn around to the audience and I look at the party scene and I think what, you know, none of these people are, know what to do. I mean, they're party guests. What are they supposed to do? There's only one person that can fill up this music. And I thought, oh, finally I get a solo. So <laughs> The soldiers stamped and I started doing, I don't know what it was. It was definitely Russian character, something, you know, it was in character. I improvised the whole thing. And the very end I did PK turns. I did on my heel. I did no turn and turn and turn and, you know, flipping around and, and I finished and, 
I could hear everyone in the core, you know, the party guests just having the best time uh-huh. howling, going, you know, shocked. And they just went up full applause at the end. Uh, I don't know if the audience really knew what was going on. I guess the people- I'm sure some so, did, but that, that's the detail that I remember, like that, that the, the, the apprentice boy that came back, he was like, he finished with a pique manege on his heel. And we were all just like, what? <laughs> it's, so, it's just so Russell good. Meyer wouldn't do on, on his toes. No. Oh, yeah. Incredible. <laughs> character. But the other, thing, the other thing that happened was that the Nutcracker wasn't there once. Yeah, like, what, what like the toy. The, show. The, 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 the Nutcracker was not. Oh, the when we were supposed to reveal it. So the, the 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 prince had no nutcracker, and so I had to stall. And we were yelling off stage, "There's no nutcracker!" <laughs> so I was walking around. Finally, it got there by the time, you know, I'm to crack the nuts. It just appeared right. out of nowhere. Right. So there was no moment of like, "Here's my," you know. So uh, those are the fun thing we have. We actually have Christine Redpath, one of our ballet mistresses, has made a bloopers tape. Of people falling, mostly. Oh, I've I've seen some of those. Those are yeah, it's good. It's very They're good. Crazy. But those yeah. are you know that's always fun. It's it's Aww. what do you do with that? So that's <laughs> it. Yeah. So Can, we. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, no. I was going to say let's let's backtrack a little bit and just talk about what what was the fr- very first time you ever met and worked with Jerry Robbins. Well, it was American Ballet Theater. Actually, um, we went to. Um, Baryshnikov had a small touring group of people uh, that he took on on in summer gigs, but th- this particular year was a festival of Jerome Robbins ballets that we were doing in Spoleto, Italy, and it was um, Opus Jazz, New York Esport Opus Jazz. We opened with Misha and I were doing. Um, we alternated other dances and um, Fancy Free. And an afternoon of fun was all on the program. Great program. <laughs> so I mean, right? Yeah. So he came in. You know, we learned it from Wilma Curley, who was one of the originals in Opus Jazz and the concert, and all. she was part of Ballet's USA. Really tough broad, blonde, looked like Marilyn Monroe, but cussed like a sailor. So, <laughs> and you know, like you know, said she would have been canceled, or you know. Like today, um, <laughs> such inappropriate stuff. So we learned ballets from her mostly. Um, I forget what who taught us Afternoon of the Fawn, but it sort of goes, I think it might have been somebody from City Ballet who came in. So anyway, we learned, and he came in at the end, basically, and um Fancy Free was contentious for him because at that point, City Ballet didn't do Fancy Free right. because of some sort of contractual thing that he had with ballet theater. So he was sort of pissed off that things had evolved at ballet theater and he had no Ooh. control over it. Okay. So oh. the the rehearsals for us were, you know, I think it was me and Ronald Perry and Adam, uh, Brian Adams, I forget who the cast was there, but, and Elaine Kudo was one of the girls. But anyway, at one point he, he, he walked out of the theater. He was so pissed off. He walked out of the theater and I said, 
I, I basically said to him, I said, Jerry, you're going to have to come back. <laughs> We're not leaving. <laughs> and that was the moment where he, you know, like I, I wouldn't just let him, you know, get away with it. And, right. and he respected people who talked back to him, mm-hmm. people who powered away from him. He, you know, I don't know what it was, but he, um, he, he, he used them as a sort of, you know, a person to get his aggression out on. Um, and so it was that moment uh, that really, um, that I believe that our relationship sort of began. And because he, he could tell that I had had musical theater training. I mean, and I was good at, at understanding what, what he was, you know, what he was aiming for and what he was going for. Mm-hmm. And um, so we got through that. I, I, I ended up doing, I did all of those ballets as, at one point while he was there. And I think that's where he really saw me. Mm-hmm. That was in the like 80, mm, 82, 83, somewhere in there. And, um, and that's where I, I, I saw him and I understood him. And there was this connection of, you yeah. know, where I felt like these are the ballets that I was meant to, to, to do. And was he kind of the one that suggested that you would come over to New York City Ballet? Was that kind of the impetus for that? No. No? You would never do that. You would never pull a dancer away from another company. What happened mm-hmm. to me is that I was diagnosed with HIV. Um, that you know, It was a death sentence um, at that time. I, um, I felt like my life, I needed to accomplish things that I wanted to accomplish. I started choreographing for Misha's small group. I was good at it. Um, I wanted to do musical theater. And at one point, um, uh, Peter had done a, a musical, Peter Martins had done a musical called Song and Dance, which Christopher Damboise was the star in. And I I liked it. And I, um, he called and he said, or I called, I don't know, my agents called and I, and I wanted to audition for it. it and so he said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, what you'll do is we'll, we'll put you on, on the road with Melissa Manchester and then you'll come back to New York and d- you'll do it then. So I had, I had officially left ballet theater to mm-hmm. pursue another career. Sure. Um, I was also going through a breakup. I, I just felt like the touring got too much. It was, we were on the road for eight months out of the year. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, when Misha was, you know, was a rock star. So we were performing. Right. Like we had like maybe four weeks off in the year, maybe. Um, and then, so I was tired. I wanted to see what else was out there. Um, so I just left and mm-hmm. Misha was great about it. Um, other people weren't, they thought I was turning my back on, you know, the person that gave me my career. And um, so I got this call from Peter Martins to do this show. And then like a week later, Jerry called me and said, let's have, lunch and uh, I had no idea what it was about but he said you have to come he wanted to know what I was doing and I said I'm going to do this musical he said you don't want to do that show you want to come join with New York City Ballet with me and I said well I want to still choreograph and he said well you'll choreograph it at at City Ballet we'll make sure and in fact all of that did happen and and I you know it was a no-brainer so he basically invited me to come and it was right after Joe Duell uh, had killed himself. So mm-hmm. there was, um, there was still this sense of Balanchine's d- are gone. No one had, did, no one, you know, there, there was a sense in the room of all of these dancers who had, 
their father had died, basically. So the sense of loss, great loss. And Peter was, you know, put in this position of power. And there was, you know, resentment with that. Um, Jerry was very much still his own, his own, um, his own. He also felt the loss too. So I walked into the room, this room where, first of all, there was all these creatures, you know, they looked like different animals out of, you know, in a zoo, you know, Mm -hmm. you had a giraffe over there, a hummingbird, you know, Violette was a bird and Maria Caligari was this giraffe with these long, I mean, (laughs) they were extraordinary characters and Heather had her personality. Patty was, you know, ah, and (laughs) Dan was, you know, walking around with, you know, slinking around. It was just fascinating to walk into a room of, with like a different family completely. But there, overall of this was this morning session that was still happening. Because it was only three years after he had died that I, I came into the room. And um, so Jerry put me to work right away. I was doing a ballet that Joe Duell and Maria Caligari were to do. It was a, a remake of Dunbarton Don Bar- Notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was to do that with, with Darcy. And um, there were ballets that I'd already done. So I sort of fit right in. I did Prophet right. Sun right away with Suzanne Farrell, which was a trip. And uh, and uh, I did Slaughter on 10th Avenue, which I learned very quickly with her. And, um, you know, the, the these, this was this was an extraordinary thing that was happening to me. And I don't think I quite, you know, really understood what was happening because on top of that, I also had this, you know, this diagnosis, which, Mm -hmm. okay, so I'm going to die and I have to, you know, I have to make the best of it. So one, one, one part of that was I was asked to write my, my autobiography because, uh, and I didn't want to write an autobiography. I wanted to write a story, you know, a, you know, because I wasn't old enough. I was only 28 or 29. And um, I wanted to, to write this story about a, a young kid who moves to New York and, um, and is successful, but is also gay. And, and he's okay with that. And mm-hmm. it's accepted. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, strangely enough, I am the first male ballet dancer to write about his homosexuality. Hmm. I, w- I was going to say, I mean, I, I like, even when I was growing up, I, I started dancing in the like early or mid nineties, but it was just like, back then it was still very much just like, you know, these sort of, uh, well, like ballet is as, uh, you know, as tough as, as football and it's still a very masculine thing to do and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was still ballet was still kind of a toxic, potentially toxic environment for uh, young gay people. Even though we populate the the ranks, you know, left and right. So I'm just I'm just thinking about like, well, hi, I wish I had like a copy of your book when I had been young, and I think it would have made it such a it must have been so valuable to anyone that was young and gay and and in ballet. It would have, it certainly would have meant a lot to me. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was just telling my story. I had two very supportive parents. I don't think they understood what gay was. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, um, and they accepted me to some degree. They allowed uh, both my brother and I to take ballet, which is extraordinary. But, um, and then I, I met the love of my life and I, I talk about affairs and I talk about 
uh, and then I, the, the book ends with um, Peter Fonseca who died right. from AIDS. Um, I don't actually talk about that. I don't even think I mentioned that I'm diagnosed because I was still a little bit in, in the closet with, with my, my status. Right. Um, but it turned out to be this book that I didn't know that I was writing uh, and that it did help young, young boys and girls understand that, um, there are parents out there that accept their gay children or their, you know, their, uh, and, and it's okay it, it, for, for them to understand that is really empowerful because they, they think their parents are all parents. Right. Uh, and that what their parents think or, you know, believe is, is correct. And that can tarnish, you know, a kid for a long time, but it was shocking to me that, you know, uh, Nureyev was never really, even though he was the most flamboyant thing in the world uh visually he never really spoke or talked about his homosexuality he was still very closeted uh, eric brune very closeted so um 19 what was it my book came out in 87 or something that was sort of the beginning of me coming out of the closet publicly um and i never really came out to my parents i just brought a guy home for thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> like it was way. normal yeah. <laughs> like i you know it wasn't a moment of like mom dad i'm gay i'm like i think they knew i was gay you know mm-hmm. from an yeah. early age it was sort of an unspoken truth mm-hmm. so yeah that was that moment and then um and then i got i got fortunate i was really lucky to be put on an experimental drug trial um and it saved my life and i'm you know that was you know, I'm really one of the lucky ones because I saw all my friends die around me. I saw my um, Peter Fonseca die. I saw, you know, uh, 20 other men. I, there were five of them from ABT who died. Um, there were, you know, just just countless. And there was this feeling of, you know, you know, I couldn't, I didn't have time to mourn. I had to, I had a career. <laughs> right. So that came later, uh, you know, about. 15 years ago where I, I, I kind of lost it and I had to get, go into therapy and <laughs> fix myself because, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you're in de- denial is very useful when you're, when you're dealing with trauma. And uh, so I, uh, I just, and also these, these past two years have been really helpful t- for me because I'm fortunate. I, I didn't, you know, I don't have a career to, you know, that's, just starting so i'm able mm-hmm. to reflect and be grateful that you know i have the tools to keep myself healthy and um right. but this is really the second second time that i've seen you know disease kind of take over and and how traumatic it can be for for people okay mm-hmm. so. did you did you find the stage to be therapeutic at all or was it merely distraction for you at that point oh Distraction and therapeutic. Of both. Okay. Definitely. Definitely. Right, mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, but you th- it's, you know, for me, this is, this is the coffee table. You know, this is where I express myself. This is church for me. I'm mm-hmm. not religious, but I understand this, you know, the turning out of the feet is, is my hands like this. Right. Mm-hmm. So the minute I do that, I'm, I'm, I'm in service to something that is that this is out of myself. I become right. out of myself immediately. Even when I'm teaching, it's like I, I know, there's no problems anymore. This the the studio is a space of 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 grace. It's a it's a space of 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 allowing myself to 
be out of myself and to, right. to sort of strive for some sort of perfection. Like, I think that's what re- religion does, right? You're, tr- you're aiming for some kind of perfection and you're going to fail. You're going to fall down. <laughs> let's just, let's just, let's just make sure that we understand we're all going to fall. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, dancing is all falling anyway. It's just recovering from it, you know, right. somehow. Yeah. Right. That's beautiful. I think we all identify with that and with what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so at what point were you able to make some of your Broadway dreams come true? You know, they all happened to me. Um, I didn't, I, in 1970, 79, I was in ballet theater. I was 19 and we were on some sort of strike or layoff. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. It was the summer. And I got a phone call from Gwen Verdon. Wow. Hello. <laughs> this is Gwen and 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 I didn't I, I thought you know everyone does Gwen Verdon impersonations too so my roommate did that and I and I and I thought it was him calling me on the phone and I said oh, okay come on you know and she said we Jimmy Dunn just hurt himself we need somebody to come and and replace him and dance and so you know and, and and you know so that happened you know I I went in and I rehearsed for two weeks and I did a sort of um, not a complete show, but but I think I did like four numbers of the show. Um, one of them was this percussion f- for four. It was a solo. It was done for Charles Ward, who was the ballet dancer. And it had also gone turns. And there were people in the show, there weren't many people that could do that solo. So I was basically brought in to do that for, for three months. And that was fantastic. I danced with Annie Ryan King and all these incredible people, Wayne Salento, all these incredible people. and. Um, it was a heady time. It was, it was a summer of that, you know, my first Broadway show. And then, you know, later on, Jerome Robbins came to me when he was putting together his show and he said, do you want to be on a Broadway show? And I said, let me think about it. <laughs> of course. So I had to, I had to go in and sing happy birthday for, for Paul Gimignani. And, uh, and they had already, they had already been working on the show for, you know, months. They had been doing um, workshops and stuff. So I kind of got inserted in that. Now that was, to me, that was sort of where my two worlds came together in a very special way. Those 22 weeks of rehearsal for me was my college education. It's mm-hmm. everything I know happened in those 22 weeks about, what, what you know what I know as an educator mm-hmm. um both you know watching Jerry work with those all those people and seeing all of the you know the Bernsteins and the Sondheims all of them came on Fridays we had all the famous people come and watch our show and watch our rehearsals and he would ask them what do you see what do you think what do you remember mm-hmm. um putting that together was was fascinating uh to to watch uh him reassemble his past and um and seeing how he didn't rely on his own uh memory he relied on the memory of everyone mm-hmm. and that's where i learned about staging his ballets was that i don't i only have 20 percent right. of memory I, there's <laughs> some people that have extraordinary memory some people think they have extraordinary memories and they tell <laughs> you that i remember everything and they 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 own it's Rashomon, right? There's this great interview with Sondheim, Bernstein, Robbins, and Arthur Lawrence about West Side Story, trying to remember the making of it, those times. Mm-hmm. And they all remember the story differently. Right. And they pick up where they each left off. Oh, I remember this. No, it wasn't. We didn't meet it there. We didn't meet it at that bar. No, we met at the, oh, you're right. We did so 
that's where, you know, you, putting this stuff back together, we don't have a script, we have our memories. And sometimes I think it's better to have, you know, maybe to have a couple of people in the room uh, to reassemble and, and then, you know, have the fights and then figure out what, what they're going to do. Um, but in the end, um, I approach everything like, like an actor would with a script, mm-hmm. right. you know, uh, I don't think that when an actor t- takes a script up, they, they do the work themselves. They don't go to past actors and ask them what they, you know, or they may talk about what they did with it, but they don't try to find information from their performance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and it, I, I find that that's the trap that we as dancers live in. We, we, we get handed this, these used, this, these clothing that were, they used to wear and we put them on ourselves right. instead of, um, you know, finding our own costume, you know, finding our own character, finding our own way into the same, the same uh, role. And uh, it's, it's so interesting that you, like you, I mean, Suzanne was the great example and so many young girls were trying to emulate her. I mean, Delcy famously cut off her bottom eyelashes so that her eyes would look more like Suzanne, that sort of thing. But now it's like, I, I like exact mannerisms, but I, I see the influence of other dancers um, and I, I mean, this is a little off topic, but I joke, I joke about it even in other industries. Like you'll see like, um, when Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston do their vocal runs, it's one thing, but when someone else is emulating it, it's another, um, you know, it doesn't, it's not the same thing. They're using that voice, but it's not, it doesn't have that. It's um, not honest. It's, right. not, it's honest. not honest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's borrowed. I think, I think what, what's different now is that. You know, we had these masters, we had these, we had these people that were in the room and we were trying to please them. You know, mm-hmm. Balanchine would famously stand on the side of the stage. And right. um, so there was this, you know, he was, I don't know, he would, he would hate to be called God, but he was, he was the man who we all wanted to please. and. Right down to the way they dressed during rehearsal, you know, how they looked, you know, it it was, it was a presentation. He, he loved beauty. He loved all of his dancers were drop dead gorgeous. Even Mm -hmm. the men were drop dead gorgeous. And uh, there was a whole system at the school that was all built in. And Jerry was, you know, the the second, second to the, to the King. And, um, so there was a story there, and I think uh, they were allowed to be, you know, you br- brought up a very good example of how when Suzanne left, Kate was put into diamonds. And it was a, you know, it was the same ballet, mm-hmm. right. but boy, was it eye-opening for a dancer to understand that he didn't want you to be Suzanne. He wanted you to be Kate, you know, mm-hmm. so that's 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 a lesson that we should also learn. And I think we as repeteurs are trying to, you know, sometimes um, mistakenly uh, trying to recreate. Right. And recreation is not a mm-hmm. good word. Uh, revival, it sounds like something's dead and we're trying to revive right. it. Um, <laughs> That's it, good. It, That's true. We're not. We're trying to make it like it's the first time 
this is ever being done. And that's when an actor says in the now, what, you know, um, and I don't mean change steps, right. um, do the steps you're being given, but try to understand what did the choreographer want? Mm-hmm. What is he aiming for? And uh, I believe a lot of Balanchine's ballets are all connected to the music in a very special way. Um, except for the, the the story ballets, which he did quite a few. And so um, there's action that has to be involved and there's character. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he was really good at that himself. You know, he was good at playing characters. He played, you know, Don Quixote. He played uh, Drosselmeyer. He played, you know. So understanding that and seeing, you know, what he allowed in in the whole picture, not just one performance, is so important for a dancer. And we have so much, so many tools mm-hmm. that we can look at. And um, yeah, going with the, along with this theme of um, you know parts that have already been created and then putting your own stamp on it, uh, kind of makes me think of West Side Story Suite because you were um, part of the original cast of that. And so, tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and how you also put your own spin on it. You did Tony, right? You were the originator of Tony. That's correct. Yeah. I, well, Jerome Robbins Broadway, we did that section was done um, for the show, and um, that was recreated um, uh, in 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 a in a very curious way because we were basically doing every number from the show. We 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 he mounted every number from the show, even some things that we didn't end up putting in there, oh. and there's not one. Sp- piece of spoken dialogue. So he basically tells the story of Romeo and Juliet up until um, uh, the end without any of Arthur Lawrence's script. And it's masterfully done. The only thing that he did when he moved it, when when Peter asked him to do it at City Valley, which Jerry didn't want to do originally, uh, Peter had to beg him. Really? Um, And I believe, and I'm making this up, I believed he didn't think that ballet dancers could do it. And I think I, I'm going to say this, and with all the kindness of my heart, they really can't. It's <laughs> hard. It's hard. It to, is hard to transfer even just the the posture. Ballet dancers are, are 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 always held up, and just to get them to slunch and become real people is really hard. Mm-hmm. So, and he fought it, you know. Um, and but he did. He allowed it, and it you know it has changed the landscape of. Of ballet companies everybody does it but he added a solo for me because what he what he realized was that to tell the story completely he needed he needed tony's story to be understood who he was before he went to the dance at the gym so he added the solo something's coming he he knew i couldn't sing and dance at the same time so he had someone sing it from off stage and he created this masterful solo which was you know all about a feeling and um and uh it was probably the highlight of my career was making that solo with him to watch mm-hmm. him go from point a to b and without with very few alternate steps i mean he's famous for having version a b and c and mixing and matching right. kind of like a you know cut and paste kind of thing but he didn't with that solo and in fact the other ballet he made on me Quiet City, it was the same way. It kind of just went from what his ideas just sort of rolled out. And um, 
so yeah, when 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 he did that, what was special about Romeo uh, about West Side Story for me was was seeing all the people who had been involved with the original West Side Story come into the room during that process and witnessing them as people, as characters, because mm-hmm. they were those characters. They were action. They were riff. They were, you know, seeing them in the room was fascinating because you, you they were big personalities. They weren't just, you know, one of 32 dancers. They were characters. And that was what was so unique about West Side Story was that everyone was, you know, given a name. It was that that moment in history where the core, there was no chorus. They were all principal actors and they were asked to do their homework, which was where are you coming from? Who are your parents? And bring that to the stage. They were asked to do their backstories. It wasn't important that we know their backstories. We were to feel what their backstories were. And um, this was, um, I mean, you can't, you can't pay enough college tuition to learn what, what we learned during that show. This is the, the most extraordinary thing that ever happened to me. And to watch Jerry as a director, he's one of the greatest directors I've, I've ever worked with. The questions he asked, the challenges, the dedication that he had. If you didn't have the same dedication he had, he, he, he was frustrated with you. And he, he, he wanted everyone to know everybody's part. He, he, he wanted everyone to love theater and dance as much as he did. And that's, that's asking a lot. So at at what point were you um, able to start putting all this knowledge, all this experience that you have, particularly with Jerry um, into action as a stager and a teacher? When did you start to make that transition out of um, being primarily a performer into more of an educator? Well, actually there was, um, there's a, 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 Nikki um, Atkins, who started uh, American Dance Machine for the 21st century, started, um, you know, this group again. It was uh, originally Lee Theodore, who was the uh, Anybody's and West Side Story, developed this group to um, keep these theater dances alive. And she asked me to do Mr. Monotony, which was this trio that was done in Jerome Robbins Broadway. It was an obscure piece that had never made it to a Broadway show. He tried it out in Call Me Madam and, and, a, and Mrs. Liberty, and it never made it into those shows. It got cut out of town. Finally, it made it into Jerome Robbins Broadway. And it's this really technically hard dance, but it's, and it's really good. The you know, singer sings, and then the story is told through dance. So Nikki um, had me come in and teach it. And um, I taught it to, I forget who the, I think it was, oh, it was uh, Amar, Mimisar, um, Mm -hmm. Georgina, and uh, Danny. Albert? Yeah. Yeah. They were the original three, because it's, I've taught it a million times since then. (laughs) But anyway, that was when I I was challenged to start teaching what I know. and. Truth be told, uh, I would probably, if I did it again, I, uh, I, I mean, if what what the tools that I had were, like I said, my information. Uh, what would have been nice is if I had, you know, Jane Lanier and Louis Perez in the room too, because it would have just gone. It would have just been faster, you know. They're still right. alive, <laughs> um, but I, I did my best, and we had some footage for them to look at. Uh-huh. But then they were only allowed to look at it once, and that was it. 
um, just to get an idea. Right. Then we, then we, you know, kind of, I, I, you know, I made as much what I was been talking about as much as I could make it, make it on them. Mm -hmm. like, right. We're making this for you. This is yours now. This is no longer, you know. So. Yeah. So American Dance Machine, they talk about having like a living archive of these, these, um, you know, some of some of the works maybe would have almost been extinct, right? Um, but I, I love that it's you seem very, um, you know, it, uh, like a perfect fit for this mission because every time you bring up um, one of these masterworks or you know things that you were able to perform as a dancer, you talk about making them exist in the moment versus recreations or revivals. Um, so what, what, what are some of the other works that you've been able to do with, uh, American dance machine for the 21st century? Well, we did, I did, I staged, um, Charleston for billion dollar baby. Um, that was fun. I was never even in that number, but I, I watched it. So I watched right. it like a, you know, a, a, a rehearsal director or, a, or, or just a plain director. So I, I helped stage that. And I brought in a few of the people that were actually in it to help, um, you know, it's just getting, it's, my job is to get that, get those characters out of them. And they're all very, it's all very character driven. I'm trying to think, I know there are others that I staged, but I'm, I'm blanking. There's a number that got cut for Charlotte D'Amboise called Dreams Come True. It was Charlotte uh, and three guys. It got cut before we opened and I'm dying for American Dance Machine to do it. Hi, Nikki. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a cute number. It's really ca character driven. Um, and it's about a woman who's on a couch reading the magazine and all of the, you know, all of the people in the magazine come true. It's like the, you know, uh, yeah, it's like she fantasized about all these men, you know, and they pop up out of the, the couch, you know, the, the, the sweet guy with the little flower in his hand and the, uh, the Latin guy comes in and does a tango with her. And then the, uh, the sheik comes in and she, and, and so it's, it's, she's dreaming of all these guys and then they get into a fight. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful number. And I'm dying for her to recreate it because um, it's, it's, there's, it's not even on YouTube, you know, and right. see, the, the, the thing about, I keep saying to, to, to them is that we see all these numbers on YouTube. We see cool. Cool is on YouTube. Okay. The original in the movie and, and the right. Elvis Sullivan, we can see what the originals look like. Right. And um, so we have that information. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a curious thing, uh, keeping these things alive. I think it's important uh, for, for dancers today to do a lot of this repertory. I mean, mm -hmm. ballet companies keep, you know, keep keep things alive all the time and and uh right it's important yeah so you guys are now starting a college program that you're going to be heading up can you tell us a little bit about the mission of that program and what it's going to look like well the mission is to bring um uh this repertory to to colleges and to bring the original choreographer choreography um with people who actually worked with the choreographer Right. Um, mm -hmm. Not just third hand information, which is what I think you generally get in college. I um I went out to Princeton and, and did a couple of Jerome Robbins workshops. And it's sort of modeled on that. You know, you go for a week or or maybe we're thinking two, and you would um 
maybe I would teach class in the morning and then do repertory in the evening or afternoon or whatever, however they want to shape it. You, mm-hmm. you get, you know, Donna McKechnie, I think would be someone who would do like a Michael Bennett week. I would do a Jerome Robbins week. So we would pull these mm-hmm. people in and even continue on to the, to the newer people like uh, Andy Blankenblue, you know, Jerry yeah. Mitchell, whoever, whoever they're interested in, American Dance Machine would have a list of of people that have worked with these choreographers to do a two or three week um, intensive, and so right. they would be getting information that is um, firsthand or secondhand or whatever closest hand. hands yeah. we can get. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and it would be it's fascinating. It's sort of bringing. ADM 21 to the college and uh, because that's who's that's who's studying this work you know and what I've I've seen so many interpretations of of Jerry's work that are so misguided because of the the, the information that they don't right. have you know they're just looking at a videotape and emulating mimicking meant something I don't know yeah quite <laughs> You know, and then you ask them the question and they don't know the answer, you know, and that's the thing. It's just very interesting. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the trap of a video. You know, you're only getting a partial of what's going on. And, right. uh, yeah. Right. yeah. So if, if a young dancer wanted to be involved with ADM 21, how might they go about doing that? Oh God, that's a, you know, that's a question. I don't know if I can, really answer i mean there's a website and i think uh there are there are workshops often i th- i know that um at steps they're teaching on fridays they're teaching repertory for the next um few weeks i uh, just stay in tune there's there's all sorts of um things coming up i believe but mm-hmm. uh, right now we're we're kind of focusing on getting these um these these educators to the colleges um and uh uh yeah that's a really good question i know we had they had auditions for a show that was going to go up but of course you know covid came along pandemic uh, so i think all of that's been postponed i mean it's just like anything yeah. So at ADM21.org, there's lots of information there and um, tells you all about the program. And it sounds so cool. And then, like as ballet dancers, we know, of course, like, like we've talked, the theme of the whole conversation has been how important it is to pass these things on um, firsthand or as close as we can get. And so it's so cool to hear about you also doing that in the musical theater sense as well. Yeah, I, I love it. I love being involved in the in the theater. It's it's yeah. where I feel I have the most to say. I'm doing a, <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm so grateful. I'm doing this summer. I'm doing a production of a little night music um, at Barrington Stage Company. Um, it, there's not much choreography, but but I love the show. It's one of my favorite. Oh, such a great favorite. show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm getting. Uh, I, I got that call was the best call I got for for this year <laughs> because I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted, I've actually wanted to take the music and take the lyrics away. Sorry, Sondheim, and do a, <laughs> and do, and do a, a, a ballet, uh, uh, the same story with that music, without the words, oh, um, and those characters. Coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. That was so wonderful. And we can't wait to share it with our listeners. 
Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much, Michael and Rebecca. It's been a pleasure. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.